Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about whether Christians should see the world as beautiful, uh, optimistically, um, beauty in everything, saturated with beauty and goodness, or whether they should see the world as fallen, dangerous, full of darkness, and about to be burned. Exactly. How's that, John? Is that all right? Did I, did I nail it? That is right. Yeah, this is uh, this we, is one of John's uh, theological tension points. Yeah, a new one. I've been reading through. Uh, this is based off a book called The Divine Conspiracy. Not the whole book, but The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, which I've been reading through for other the- theological hangups I have. But he talks briefly about the um, how prevalent joy is in the world, and he he goes and through goodness some stuff and, and beauty. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that, but it, it, I was thinking, is that really, because I talked about if you listened to <laughs> well, my go ahead John's and say what a little bit ago. Yeah, go ahead and say the first thing you thought when you read it. I, I thought you're full of crab. Oh, I thought I, you said, Dallas, what are you smoking over there? <laughs> he, you know, he was in California. He's dead now. We can talk about him. He was in <laughs> California, and you probably thought he was high on weed or something. I didn't know he was in California. Yeah, then I he, would have thought way worse of him. Yeah, he was the he was the uh, chair of the philosophy department of USC. Well, I we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But it's <laughs> really this tension of how how good is this place that we that we live on we live in. Yes. Before all that, it is story time, and you are up this week. What do you got? I am up, and I was gonna. I thought I'd tell a story from my high school golfing days with my friends. So you got a lot of golf stories. Yeah, well, uh, there were a handful of friends I had, and we played golf together all the time. And uh, we played very competitively with each other. It was not fun and games. Oh. There was frequently why ga- should it be frequently gambling for <laughs> uh, barbecued chips on the front nine and a soft drink on the back nine. Nice. So we would say uh, barbecue chip, and we would <laughs> play for that. And so uh, you know things got really intense sometimes because. I don't know if you noticed, John, but I can talk a little trash, and uh-huh. my friends could also talk trash. So this was a guy named uh, Dougal, who you know very well, and a guy named Mark Campbell, who you've met when you were a little bitty, but I haven't seen him in forever. Um, anyway, on this particular day, it is just me and Mark playing golf. I think I'm a high school junior. Okay. And... uh we are on about the 12th hole, and it's tight, man. I mean, we are back and forth, and uh, I had these habits. So if my friend had a putt to make and I needed him to miss it, I would walk over to the hole, and I would make a little X with my finger right in front of the hole, <laughs> and I would say, Oakland Raiders, 55. And that was like putting a curse in front of the hole so that the ball would not go in. Yeah, so you're gambling, you're using pagan <laughs> magic, you're doing all kinds of crazy unsavory yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, in this particular case, Mark had made me really angry. I don't remember why, but he was dishing it out, man. I mean, he was dishing it hard. And I'm sure you were just a victim, just taking the abuse. No, it was mutual is all I'm saying. It was mutual. <laughs> What's but, the... Raiders 55, what is that? Well, the the Raiders are the ugliest team in football, and 55 is the ugliest Obviously. number. 
So oh. it was like putting a double ugly and then an X. What's the why is fifty five ugly? I don't get that. I don't know. I just chose it. I don't. I was a high school <laughs> freshman when I started doing that. Don't ask me deep theological okay. questions for a freshman in high school. All right. Anyway, on this particular putt, um, I had uh, missed my putt, and I needed Mark to miss this one. And I did my little curse, and he starts he starts letting me have it for my little curse. You know, he's like. Uh, mm-hmm. You're such a little girl, and he's just really after me. <laughs> so I just uh, got a bunch of spit in my mouth, and I let it drop right in front of the hole. Ooh. So the only way he could sink the putt was to putt through my spit. Nasty. And he didn't you guys say, are mean. I know. He did not say a word. He bent over, picked up his ball, walked over to his bag, put his putter away, put his bag over his shoulder, and he walked away. Wow. From the 12th hole, he walked all the way back to the clubhouse. I just kept playing. Uh, by the time I got to the parking lot, he was long gone. We didn't talk for a couple of days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Had you drove them separately? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We always met at the course. and uh, So that was one of those uh, Jim can really be a real jerk uh, <laughs> days. And Mark was a good jerk, too. And yeah. we're very good friends to this day. And we still we still uh, laugh about that day, actually. It, within I was two days, say... he was laughing about it. Well, you said he hadn't been, you hadn't talked to him in a while. I didn't know if this was the, <laughs> if this was it. No, in fact, I missed a call from him today. He, uh, we stay in touch. Hmm. Did you call him back? No, I was, I was, you know, chilling out today. Maybe it was yesterday he called, and I was in back to back to back meetings. That's what it was. I missed a call gotcha. yesterday. I haven't called him back yet. Gotcha. Anyway, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well. <laughs> it's good to stay humble remind yourself of uh of the dark days yeah okay uh, so what i want to do john to tee yeah. this up is i want to read a portion of uh the dallas willard reading that uh sent you to the moon and then you can kind of tell us what your problem is and before we go much further we we trashed california we said the raiders suck <laughs> I, I only am sorry about the first one i stand by the second one yeah we hate one, the raiders but if you're in california california's fine it's pretty warm it's nice. yeah it is a beautiful place yeah anyway would, you couldn't pay me two million dollars a year to live there but it's a beautiful place you would live you would live anywhere outside of la for much less than that you would live in san diego you'd pay to live in san diego. i would live in carlsbad california that is unbelievable or uh the monterey peninsula where pebble beach is those are stunning mm. california is gorgeous i'm probably just jealous that i don't get to live there i would go northern california i'd go you know yosemite somewhere around there yeah yeah all right. All right. Uh, Jesus' good news about the kingdom can be an effective guide for our lives only if we share his view of the world in which we live. And he goes on to say that to Jesus' eyes, the entire world is God-bathed and God-permeated. It's a world filled with a glorious reality where every component is within the range of God's direct knowledge and control. And even though he obviously permits some of it for good reasons to be for a while, other than he wishes, it is a world that is inconceivably beautiful and good because God uh, is there and because he's, God's made it, he made it, and he's always in it. So uh, it's a world in which God is continually at play and over which he constantly rejoices. So until our thoughts of God and the things that are visible and the events as uh, our eyes need to see his presence. And until then, the word of Jesus has not yet fully seized our hearts. That's his contention. I believe that's a part of the page you highlighted, John. 
That was actually this is a copy of your version. Oh, on it's the a part, it's a page that I highlighted. You so I was it. I was digging on this and you're struggling with it. <laughs> I guess okay, so. Okay, so he 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 then gives this quote from a novelist Vladimir Nobokov who writes of his own awakening to this reality. He he saw a, a woman, an old woman, uh, a woman of the streets. So I think that means like poor drinking a cup of coffee that had been given to her. And he became aware of the world's tenderness, the profound benefit beneficence of all that surrounded me, the blissful bond between me and all of creation. And I realized that joy breathed around me everywhere in the speeding street sounds in the hem of a comically lifted skirt in the metallic yet tender drone of the wind in the autumn clouds bloated with rain. I realized that the world does not represent a struggle at all. Or a predacious, I don't know what that word means, sequence of chance events, but shimmering bliss, beneficent trepidation, a gift bestowed on us and unappreciated. Boom. What do you say, John? That last whole section was from, was a quote from Novikov, the novelist. Yes. Um, Yeah, I say, reading that. You call foul. You call baloney. I, I call foul. Um, I'll break it down from the beginning. The the uh, very beginning was where I was like, "Now hold on, Dallas," and this is a man ex- <laughs> extraordinarily educated, uh, much yeah. much more bright than I am, and but, a spiritual director. I mean, this is what he mm-hmm. does: is he helps people uh, connect spiritually to God and to God's activity in the world. So this is his sweet spot, you would say. Yeah, and he one of my problems. You've probably noticed in how I. Uh, speak is I don't like uh, hyperbole very much and as an academic writer it's his basic job to make big claims and try to back them up so he says stuff all the time like we must do this to do this and I'm like well I don't think that's true I don't think you have to do that at all I see so this is one of those you must have this view of the world to understand Jesus and to be to interact with his kingdom well well I what I thought I read was that when you have fully apprehended the word of God you will see the world this way that's what I thought he was saying he says Jesus good news about his kingdom can be an effective guide for our lives only if we share his view of the world in which we live and then this is what he says is the is Jesus's view of the world yeah uh but then so so to break it down uh he says that uh the world is inconceivably beautiful and is only allowed by God to be evil or, or to have some bad things in it for a short while. He says he uses these kind of minimiz- minimizing words. I see. So to you, it's an extreme. He, he's, he's pushing things to the absurd. I think so. what, and, and all of this is kind of, I don't have a firm stance on this. All this was, I don't think I like that. Tell, tell, me what, I, tell me what you don't like. Tell me well, what the rub well, is for you. Let me, I'll take you there. So okay. uh, he says some of this, uh, some of the world is is allowed by God to be out of his authority, to be in the authority. To be other than he wishes. Yes. So, uh, but to me, so in, in the temptation of Jesus, right? And uh, uh, Luke is the one I was reading most recent, but it's in all the gospels, I think, at least in Luke. And uh, by by Satan. And he says, you know, when he takes him to the mountaintop and he says, all of this authority, which has been given to me, I can give to you. Mm-hmm. That's all the authority. That's not some of it. That is all of the authority of, over the earth allowed by God. That part I'm not debating. Allowed by God to not be under God for a little while until he come, until he wants to. Right. 
That's all of it. That's not some of it. That's the whole, that's all the authority on the planet. Uh, so that's number one, is that I think he was minimizing the extent to which um, God hands over the earth to itself, not with all the people. He works within us and his, and his adopted children and through the spirit. But he lets this world kind of helter-skelter, doesn't he? Well, he certainly uh, allows for uh, the full force of human free will to be experienced. Sure. And the earth itself, creation itself, is now going from order to chaos because of the fall. Uh, The Bible says that creation itself groans with anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. So we have uh, climate change and we have uh, earthquakes and tornadoes and disasters that uh, were not originally part of the plan. Um, And the world, as our bodies do, uh, are in a state of deterioration. So so you could say it's unraveling. Uh, So uh, point number two, which I wasn't. Now, what was point number one? Point number one was that I disagree with the extent to which uh, Willard says God has let his let the authority of the world be uh, elsewhere. Oh, you think it's more than Willard understated? Yeah, because he says some of this authority for some time. And I think it's the whole world. Oh, I see. Uh, but we'll go on to number two. Okay. And uh, number two is that he says, and this is kind of the point of the whole thing of of what he's talking about is that Jesus and God view the world this way. He says they dance over the world. He says they rejoice over the world. They're very pleased with the world. And this was the big one for me because it's like, well, then why is he going to crack the world open like a walnut at the end of time? Why is he going to burn this place to a crisp and bring in a new one? I don't think he's very pleased with the world at all. You don't? No. What do you think he does over the world? Does he weep? Does he shake his fist does he what what is he doing if he's not dancing what is he doing i i know what he will do and he will be wrathful i don't know what he is right now i know he dances over us you know yeah i'm not saying that he's condemning you know flood style the entire planet again but i don't think when you look at the world in its entirety Mm -hmm. you know i think it'd be hard to say that god is rejoicing over the world i think it's and, and going biblically not just over you know i'm not I'm not poo-pooing my own my own life. Like I'm I'm talking about biblically how God seems to see the world biblically. Right. Is not necessarily uh, joyously. So let me um uh, do you have a third point? I want to get the uh, full wrath of what you're pr- struggling with before I start talking about what, what you know counterpoint. Sure. Third one is just um and it's when he quotes uh, Nabokov, so it's hard to say that this is necessarily, but or Nabokov, excuse me, but he put this in his book. So I'm going to treat this as though Willard very much agrees with this. And it's in this kind of majestic moment, which I love artistically. And I've had these moments just seeing like a there's a puddle I can see from my office where the, where the, the raindrops hit it, and it's just so beautiful. I can stare at that thing forever. So I've had these okay, kinds of moments. so yeah, it's like this surreal poetic moment this guy's having. Yeah, and I love that. That's great. But this, you know that uh, joy is an unappreciated gift that is all through everything, like the Force. He's talking like Yoda in in Empire Strikes Back. He's like, it's between me and you, and it's everywhere. And I think the world is just too mean for that, to back that up. You can, that transcendent moment is pretty, but the claim there 
is that everything is pretty. All the world is not one of conflict. It's one of harmony and peace. And it's like, it sounds like you're selling me something. Okay, so he's telling you how he believes God views the world. Yes. How do you believe God views the world? I believe God views the world as uh, a very, very hard place where we will be for some time until we're not, until we're where he actually wants us to be, a place that he's prepared for us that he actually is very pleased with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, again, it's not, I, I have a hard time because these aren't my opinions. This is how I believe the Bible talks about it from my interpretation. Yeah. This, this seems, if not counter biblical, then, then not uh, resonating. Well, this is, uh, I think this is a very um, standard, normative tension mm-hmm. point for Christianity. Uh, for example, um, until recently, you would not find many Christians to be environmentalists. You would mm-hmm. not find many Christians to be conservationists um, because this notion, the world's broken, it's, it's uh, saturated with evil, it's a cesspool, and one day it's going to all explode and go away, and a new heaven and a new earth will come. So therefore, there's no need to steward the one we have. It is doomed for failure. It is doomed for disaster. Um, and so we have to let evil run its course, and we have to let the world deteriorate till God replaces it. So let her burn. Let's just uh, <laughs> create more fossil fuels and don't worry about pollution. And um, this is I'm, – I'm, I'm being – a little a rat- character. Yes, yeah. a caricature of this, but that has been really um for a long time. That was that was the typical Christian position for the exact reason that you're saying that it's all going to burn up. Mm-hmm. I think uh that's the same thing when you talk about the curse. A guy could say, "Well, I got a my wife desires for me and I got to rule over her like this." And it's like, "Well, that's the curse. You don't that's not that's not a prescription." Okay, that's but saying, but so, Why? so same thing. If if I was to say, well, the earth is evil, that doesn't mean you should con- contribute to the deterioration. Of I evil totally of get the earth. that. I totally get that. My question is, how should one respond to the world if they see it the way you see it? I mean, I guess I'm. Not, it's hard for me to think of it in in terms of actions, like in response in that way. But when I think about attitudes, you think about Paul's attitude, and he was, you know the lead sufferer of the new Christians. It was like God chose him and convinced others to like him because he's like, Hey, I'm going to make this guy's life really, really hard. <laughs> so Paul had an especially hard life, but he, the way he looked forward to not being here anymore. Well, you definitely know, I, eternity's better. Right. Yeah. To be with Christ is way better than even the greatest moment here. Right. Uh, and, I, yeah, go ahead. And other than that, other than, you know, he doesn't do a lot of, um, Paul, I mean, doesn't do a lot of, uh, talk about like the nature of the planet. He's, he's a little more practical than that. But when I think about, uh, I, the thing is that what's funny about this is that I re- get really frustrated with pessimists. I think mm-hmm. they're, they're like, like Eeyore from, from Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. You kind of sound I, like one though. I probably do sound a lot like him, but only in response to a guy who's acting all Zen Buddhist poetry <laughs> flower goddess right now. You know, it's like. Well, and he's insisting that you can't really understand uh, the work of Jesus unless you see the world this way. Exactly. Uh, so are so, you ready for some counterpoint? Yeah. If, if you're satisfied with my answers, I want to make sure that you know you have a firm grasp of where I'm coming from. Well, let from. me tell you what I think you're saying, and you just okay. tell me if I got it right or wrong. Okay. You got it. 
Okay, what I hear you saying is that God is not dancing over the world. He's pretty frustrated that it that uh, that we have chosen to rebel and that evil is having its way. That perhaps his heart is broken, not dancing. Um, mm-hmm. And while he does intersect it, he has handed it over to the free will of men and to the uh, ability of the enemy to raise up any authority he wants to give uh, kingdoms and power to who he wants to. And so uh, it ain't good. And um, so, no, I should not look at it like God's dancing over the world, and I should not look at it like God is pleased with what's happening. Yes. And to to uh, hedge the, oh, woe is, woe is us, <laughs> you know, John's a, a Debbie yeah. Downer thing. Yeah. I think he's, I think the beauty of the world is in spite of the fall. So, like, the natural beauty of the world is, is because of God is because he created it that way, but it is, it is through uh, a dirty glass through, you know, glass right, cleaning, right. Kind of thing. and the beauty in human moments is only through the impossible grace of God for very, very fallen um, yeah. harsh people that these beautiful human moments and the intersection of God with you use that word intersection God through our lives. That's the beauty is only when God kind of breaks through the only the mess of the earth only every good and perfect thing comes from god found of blessings well yeah but it sounds like you're a little bit contradicting yourself so when when two people who don't even know god are married they love each other beautifully they're faithful to each other and they have a child together is that a beautiful thing or is that still tainted by the lens of rebellion and evil they don't know jesus man (laughs) <laughs> Isn't, that's the only thing that matters according to the Bible. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I'm ready to talk now. I'm ready. Want, to, I'm ready. I'm ready to interview you with some pointed questions. I'm ready to, to, to give it a shot. Okay. Creation itself. Is uh-huh. it good or bad? Uh, now or, you know, 7,000 years ago is creation good or bad? creation capital c creation i would say is good i would say the earth right now is bad why is the earth bad it was and again creation would include heaven and earth and all that yeah i'm talking about that i'm not talking about human beings yet just the creation itself is it good or bad the creation is good okay god said it was everything he made he said it was good yeah um in fact uh romans 1 says that creation is so astounding that it declares that there is a God and that he should be worshiped and served and obeyed. And if all you had as a theological guide was creation itself, it should drop you to your knees and you should say, there is a divine creator and I should serve him. Mm -hmm. You agree? Yeah, I agree. Okay. The story of God history. Now it's not finished yet. The, The book's still being written. But when we all get to heaven, when he finishes the entire thing and eternity begins, the story from creation to that moment, is it a good story or a bad story? That's a great story. So it's a beautiful creation that is part of a great story. Mm-hmm. But every great story has really sad moments, difficult challenges, uh, things that did not go the way you would want them to go. Uh, mountains that must be climbed, enemies that must be defeated, damsels that need to be rescued, <laughs> <laughs> tyrants, tyrants to destroy. 
uh, this is a good story. And yeah. what I think Dallas Willard was saying is that until you see this creation as uh, – because to see it the way you see it, I think, is a concession that evil is winning the day, and evil is not winning. Well, keep going. Excuse me. So uh, what I hear in the Dallas Willard quote that I love is that creation continues to be beautiful, even as much as we've damaged it. Uh, it continues to declare the beauty and the creativity of God and the majesty and the power and human beings, flawed as we are, are image bearers. And uh, we have uh, beauty in us and around us. And, and, uh, and God is going to turn the tables on evil. Evil will be destroyed. It will be subjected to eternal damnation. And uh, all the wrongs will be made right. There will come a day when he wipes every tear from our eyes. And... God is even present inside the suffering. You are not suffering alone. And your pain is not pointless because God is going to use the pain. What the enemy intends for evil, God can flip around for good. And even your pain, even your tragedy is uh, kissed by the presence of God who intends on uh, using it to perfect you, to demonstrate his beauty and his uh, victory over evil to prepare our hearts for an eternity where this will no longer occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's a great story. I, none of this is, is, am I opposed to? Okay. I'm, I'm all about all of this, but this, that all of that implies and is relying on the fact that where we are now is a place of conflict. The earth is a place of battle. Spiritual yes. battle all yes. the time. Yeah. With death, winners, losers, victory, loss. Mm-hmm. So that I'm all for. And that's why, you know, I, originally I, was, I used these words when I was telling you about this idea, optimism and pessimism, which I really, afterwards I was like, well, that's not right. Because I think a Christian is inherently optimistic yeah. because of our, you know, in the literal sense, our hope in, in Jesus and all of these truths. Like I said, the the ending chapter of the book uh, sets the tone for every event in the book. So we know that God comes out on top. Yeah. That's the end of the book. So none of this is, uh, was it, was creation worth it? And that's why when, when we're talking about creation, creation is good. Uh, the earth before the fall, the heavens, the, the new earth, the new heavens that will come. But where we are now, if I understand correct, biblically, is a very, very difficult place. Okay, help me with this. Uh-huh. He's describing it his way and my question is so what you're describing it your way and my question is so what what's the so what of either of these choices the dallas willard way uh his only so what here i believe is this is how jesus sees it and the so what of that is you should see it this way too to have access to the kingdom in a more um convenient fulfilling way uh my so what of of everything saying that that's inaccurate. Yeah. Not everything sucks. <laughs> I'm pushing back on a guy who says the world has no conflict in this Nautical. I don't quote. think he ever said there's he, no conflict. I will. I'm going to the text. Do I'm it. Rolling, rolling the tape. The ref okay. is coming out on the field. Yep. He's he's looking in the TV. It's a booth review. <laughs> he says, <laughs> this is Nabokov. I realized that the world does not represent a struggle at all. 
or a predacious sequence of chance events, but shimmering bliss, beneficent trepidation, a yeah. gift bestowed on us and unappreciated. Yeah. That okay. is, uh, uh, walk outside, smell the roses, man. Genocide? I've never heard of it. This place is perfect. <laughs> this woman sipping her coffee has taught me all I need to know about the world. Yeah. I'm pushing back on that. I'm not saying okay. it's all hellfire brimstone. Right. I'm saying it's a very, very messy place. You're saying there is so much beauty and God does win and life can be a real booger. Yeah. And and we really, really. Suffering as, is real. As a race, we've screwed up pretty bad. So going back to Willard's original quotes, which I think is more probably is more holds more water as far as the argument he's making. Uh, the only point uh, there that I have conflict with is is, as we've already said, God's stance towards the earth. And it seems to me, you know, God so loved the world. That's, that's, um, yeah, uh, John, that's what, you know, the words of, of God, depending on how you view biblical, uh, I guess, inspiration. So we call it the words of God. Um, but it seems otherwise that he kind of used it like the way he did back in the days of Noah, where, where he, you know, then uh, the rhetoric was different where he says, I regret even making these people. Well, I was um, just reading this in my regular reading pattern and okay, after the flood, um, when he puts the rainbow in place and says, this is a sign that I'll never again destroy the earth by flood. And then it says, even though all the thoughts of men's hearts are only evil all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so even these people he spared who yeah. are, you know, he says, even though all the thoughts of men's hearts are only evil all the time, I will not destroy the earth by flood ever again. And that's beautiful. <laughs> you like that story huh i like well i like that last part that yeah. last part's kind of nice so i i think well i have i have this question you said that you know god made the world it was good and god so loved the world that he gave his only son uh-huh but yet he also tells us, uh, James tells us, anyone who is a friend of the world is an enemy with God. You're at enmity with God. So uh, if you love this world too much, you're actually at enmity with God because uh, the world is broken and going away and all that. Yeah. So uh, here's what I want to do. I want to do show and tell and mm-hmm. take a little commercial break, and then we're going to wrap this into a tight little focus and give some so what some takeaways about uh i have one observation about the way you're seeing this and uh and i think actually you might not be seeing it this way but it occurs to me so i want to talk about that and then we'll talk about uh how to move forward uh positively okay does that sound good um yeah can't wait okay so give me the show and tell okay so uh in some american current events the second round of stimulus money has come out. Mitch McConnell has graciously uh, bestowed us with 600 bucks a person. <laughs> and so we thought, you and know, you I'd, got your money. Did it show we, up? We got, we, yeah, we did. We got it in the okay. bank. We didn't get round one uh, for some reason. We think, who cares? Anyway, we'll get it hopefully later in our tax returns. They said, if you missed it, you can get it there um, for 2020's tax returns. So, right. Uh, uh, Late this year, early next year. But this round, you um, got it. This round, we got it, and we thought, you know, we had this uh, espresso machine. It was a Gaggia. It was a uh, that Gaggia you've been classic. eyeballing. Yeah, 
No, we had it already. This one we already had. Oh, okay. And uh, it's and called it what? Working. A gaji? A gaggia. Gaggia. It's Italian. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> it's fragile. Yeah. And it stopped working well. It kind of, um, I it, espresso basically has to be reach a certain um, bars of of pressure to emulsify the oils in the beans and create espresso. It has that that um, you know tan foam on top of a shot. That's the crema. That's the emulsified oil. So okay, anything now, on, what 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 does emulsify mean? I'm sorry to interrupt your story, but you that's all right. You're back to using words I don't know. What what so, does emulsify mean? In a cup of normal coffee, the oil from the beans just kind of sits on top. Uh-huh. Floating on the water and emulsification, it um, it's it puts the oil in the drink. I don't really understand how, but the okay. the amount of pressure involved put, shoves the oil into your actual shot oh, of espresso, okay. and that process is called emulsification. Emulsification, yeah. All right. In this context, I don't honestly know how it works in other contexts. Okay. Uh, so our espresso machine could no longer provide the pressure needed to emulsify the oil, and so we were like, well, we could either get it fixed. I got a, a good buddy of mine from my mud bay days. Uh, who fixes espresso machines, and he could probably do it. But we thought, you know what? Because of Mitch's generosity, <laughs> we're going to go get a new one. We're going to let the government buy us a new espresso machine. Yeah, because we're doing good. We, You know, honestly, well, first, you know, shout out, we tithed on it. So well, pat yourself. Don't pull a muscle. Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> I'm just saying, this wasn't all funny money. Oh, okay. You know. We took it seriously. <laughs> this was a, a judged decision. Yeah. And then we went out and got today's show and tell. It sounds item. like I, I took 10% and I threw it at God and said, there's yours. And now I'm going to play with the rest. <laughs> you should be grateful uh, you're getting that. That's so funny. No. Uh, long, long walk for a short drink of water. My show and tell is a new espresso machine called a Breville. Uh, that's Gaggia. the kind of suit I have. We have a Breville. Yep. Yep, it's it's kind of the the bad word for it would be basic. It's kind of the vanilla basic option, but they're okay. good machines. Yeah, they are. We, we've used your guys a lot. It's a uh, significantly more pedestrian than your guys' model. You got the you guys got the Cadillac. We got the uh, I don't know the Beamer or something. Oh, a Beamer. That's nice. It's not the bottom. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's nice. Only single boiler, but uh, it's got the steam one. It's got a pressure gauge. It heats up in like thirty seconds. I don't even know how oh, it's possible. Oh, that's nice. It goes from room temp water to like espresso ready in no time. It's ridiculous, and the pressure gauge is good, and uh, and there it is. All right, you have to put a picture on uh, our Instagram account so people can see it. I'm curious to see it too. I've not seen it. It's it looks a lot like yours, just smaller. It's a pretty machine. Okay, awesome. All right, let's do the commercial break. We'll be right back. Awesome. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. 
All right, welcome back. Thanks for listening. We are super grateful and um, grateful to our patrons. All right, so John, um, uh, let's let's uh, boil this down to uh, this notion. I have said forever, you know, uh, if you think that you're born into a playground, you will view life a certain way. Mm-hmm. But if you understand you were born into a battleground, you would understand life a different way. And is that part of what seems like to be a conflict with what he's saying here? Yeah. And that, uh, you've been saying that a long time. So I kind I of, have. as I was reading that, I was like, I was thinking about those things and, uh, Nabokov and, and Dallas by, uh, you know, um, consequence of quoting him in his own words seems to view it as a playground in this specific instance in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, and I alluded to this kind of imagery earlier where this place is a place of conflict, it seems, Earth now. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was ringing in my head when, when I was reading this. Yeah, you, so if, you're, yeah. if you think that you're born onto a playground, you'll be shocked when bad things happen to you. You'll mm-hmm. be shocked when there are casualties, and you will uh, expect that life is supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be good and beautiful and easy. Uh-huh. But if you're born into a battlefield, like if you're in London during the Blitzkrieg, you understand that there are casualties, there are dangers, that there's an enemy trying to destroy you, and you will consequently address life a little bit differently. Your expectations change. Yeah. And so I think what you're, what I hear you stumbling with is his description that God is dancing over the creation and he's loving every moment and every every nuance of every second is filled with beauty and joy uh, and without strife. And you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't account for the battle we're in the middle of. And contrary to that, this is kind of my aha in this conversation, is that I think the beauty that we see is because the earth is so messed up and God still enters into it to save us that's the beauty and if it was beautiful to begin with then this it's less of like a sacrifice on god's part almost it's like if you think this whole place is pretty you know if you're that's uh, one of the big ideological conflicts with with humanism i don't need a savior you want me to be a slave to somebody i'm a you know right i'm i'm fine i'm great so um at the time we're recording this um and between, I think this is what I mean to say, between the time we're recording this and the time it uh, launches, you will you will be another uncle. Oh, yeah. I forgot about so, that. So um, your brother and his wife, Brittany, are uh, going to have a child this weekend. And um, they're going to induce on, on, on the weekend. And so I was thinking this, this uh, image popped in my head of childbirth. So, um, it is a very terrifying thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have watched it five times and actually six. Cause I was there for Julie's birth with Jaden. And, um, some women are screamers and, um, I mean, the pain is incredible. I don't know if you ever seen the video where they put men on these machines that simulate contractions, to see how, so they could under, experience what it's like to have huh. <laughs> to give birth, no, and it is hilarious. These giant, strong men are weeping and begging them to turn it off. Uh, it's a brutally painful experience. But at the end of giving that birth and holding that baby in their arms, 
I've never met a mother who says that was not worth it. There's no way I'm ever, you know, <laughs> sure. uh, and, and, and so what I think Dallas Willard is saying is we are experiencing the pains of childbirth. Yeah. And he's dancing over that. While Brittany will be screaming her lungs out in pain, giving birth to that child, God will be dancing because of what's about to occur Mm -hmm. and the beauty of what it is and the redemption of it and the love and the it's 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 just incredible. Yeah. And my understanding of uh, the Dallas description is. That for God, God's not wringing his hands. Oh, no, what am I going to do? Oh, no, that person's getting, uh, uh, being horrifically uh, wounded. What am I going to do? But he already knows the redemption of it. He knows the beauty of eternity that person's going to experience. He, and he's present in our pain. But I, even as I say that, I remember the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. So while there's pain and grief, he, he wept. I was talking to uh, my counselor, and he said to me, I think you see the world as black and white. (laughs) We were talking about the person in my life who I believe has, you know, uh, caused the most pain in my life. Mm. And I was explaining to him that um, the realization of how much pain this person has caused in my life at first made me extremely angry at this person. But then I um, started um, studying their life and their own story and what they had been through in their life. And I became sad. I became sad. I was, I was no longer angry. I was compassionate. I was uh, really sorry uh, for what they had been through and realized that that person is doing the absolute best they can with what they were given. Mm. And so, uh, and, um, and, uh, I was still struggling with reconciling the wounds. And he said, I think you see the world's black and white and you need to understand that it's both black and white, that both are true. You had loss, you had wounds, you had offenses, and that person was doing the absolute best they could. So uh, both of those are true at the same time. And I think maybe this is my takeaway from this conversation that uh, what, whether this is what Dallas was trying to say or not, I don't know. Sure. Uh, but I think the reason that God is full of joy, even as he weeps, you know, uh, the Jesus wept is about Lazarus. Wait, it's like minutes before he actually resurrects. Yeah, yeah. In in twelve and a half minutes, he's going to raise the dude from the dead. Yeah, but he weeps with them, and I think uh, what what is speaking to me in this conversation is that creation itself is incredibly a beautiful thing. Human beings are a beautiful thing. We are image bearers of God, tainted, marred, fallen, but still image bearers. There's a lot of beauty there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that even in the darkest of suffering, God is there. He can redeem. He can heal. He can restore. And he's going to wrap this whole thing up into something pretty spectacular. So uh, I think God's emotion consistently 
is in fact joy. Not that his consistent emotion is frustration or anger or, um, or grief over the rebellion. I think his consistent emotion is joy because he's on a mission that he already knows the outcome of. And can you, I'll, I'll get to my takeaway in just a second. If one more question, how do you reconcile with, um, not even just Ecclesiastes, which is kind of (laughs) like the the opposite of the spectrum of just, just, uh, really, really talk about Eeyore ish. That's like that. And, but more even just, uh, revelations or, um, you know, the judgment and wrath of God. Yeah. Would you say then that that is a um, a state of God in that moment and not how he is all the time? Is that how you would reconcile that? Or, Well, I think it's part of the story. It's it's part mm. of the story, and it's a hard part of the story. I think of movies, you know, I'm such a I – th- I, I, I interpret the world through movies. <laughs> yeah. And so what comes to my mind is Braveheart or comes to my mind is uh, uh, The Gladiator. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he dies, but it's an amazing – uh, dignity and beauty and love that he has for his wife and his child. And so I think that uh, the story is a good one. Sure. And if you lose sight that the story's a good one, uh, whenever I hear somebody say, you know, I ask him, what did you major in in college? Uh, philosophy. Oh, you got a bachelor's in depression. Uh, you know you can really get depressed trying to understand the depths of human depravity the darkness of human condition Uh, and i think what what the emphasis of this book is at least this portion of it is to stay on top of all that that the place to reside is the inherent beauty and the overarching sovereignty of god who is governing he has not surrendered this creation. He is still governing, and he allows things to go other than he desires for a season. But it will finish the way he wants it to finish, and uh, beauty will be restored. So it's a great story. Yeah. And your story, you know, you're in a place of blessing, man. You're you're uh, you're blowing your uh, your uh, <laughs> stimulus checks because your life's pretty good. Yeah, uh, half of it. Well, we, just got, we just got 600, so that's about, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, so um, right now you don't have this this pain you're having to reconcile, but someday you will. There there will be pain. You, you know, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Uh, even in that pain, there's this incredible joy that God is still superintending over it all, and he's going to redeem this. Yeah. What's your takeaway from the whole conversation, John? On it's tough, honestly, because I all these things you're saying, I'm just nodding my head. I'm going, yeah, I love it. It's it's, I'm all about it. But you have a but. I don't. That's the thing with with what you're saying. I don't. My only yeah, but was with um, Dallas Willard, and I wonder. I'm starting to wonder if I just kind of got mad about nothing. (laughs) If he was just saying, he was just saying, this is a beautiful place. Like there's like. The, the joy of the Lord is yeah. how it, it, that is the kingdom or, or part of it. The kingdom is, is the whole point of the book. If, if you're listening to this and you haven't read it, it's this is a, a fraction of a chapter that we're quoting. This isn't even the point of the book. 
Um, and there are other parts of the book that I have hangups about. Maybe we'll talk about those later. But um, it's just making me feel kind of like a Scrooge the more we talk about it. Because I do think there's uh, sure. beauty and that, the, the, that it is a good story. And creation is capital G good. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, I've I've done drive uh drive, ride alongs with cops uh uh-huh. in two major cities and uh graveyard shifts and they took me to the darkest deepest places of the city. And I saw uh people doing things and I uh uh watched them do domestic violence calls and take a guy to jail. And uh my takeaway every time I've done that is how hard it would be to continue to ha- be an optimist or to believe in humanity if you're a cop. Yeah. That you see uh, so much of the worst of the human condition. And I think um, that you're on that side of the coin right now. And what I think, what what my understanding of the point of the story there was, stay on the other side of the coin. That coin's real. You're, you know, that dark side's real. But, man, God is in the power position hmm. and in the blessing position over it all. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of these, all of it, especially the ones that I lead, the episodes where I come in, it's like, I got something to talk about. It's all half-formed. It, it's me. You well, know. sure. That's why, that's why we talk about it. Yeah. So, um, and I think that that, power is real of uh you know there's i forget what it is from some tv show kind of silly but this guy's telling a story about how his dad uh would always have the radio on with on the news channel and always have the news on at home always listen to the news and uh his mom didn't like it and the kids didn't like it and said turn it off he's like nope gotta keep my eyes open and he's always <laughs> he's always tuned in and i've so i've always thought that like well you should un- try and understand all of the world, no matter how hard it is, because yeah. that's the truth of it. Yeah. Um, but really, I think that that doesn't necessarily undermine, but I think we are much more fragile than we think. Yeah. I, and I can speak for myself. I am very fragile with these kinds of influences of of just how susceptible my mood is. You know, like I think about uh, all, I think about the Rwandan genocide for like five minutes, my day's ruined. Like that's like, you know. Right. It's just because things that miserable happen. And man, uh, just brutal pain and suffering and loss and senseless uh, destruction. Right. And the truth, so those things happened, obviously true. But the truth also is that um, it isn't wise necessarily to think, just sit and brood on the darkness of the earth all the time. And that's biblically supported with, you know, uh, whatever is, is good, righteous, and holy. Think of these things. And and the, the act of keeping your eyes on Jesus, which is less abstract language but the but the practice of that is actually largely for your own mindset and your own mental health and your own uh, happiness and peace yeah um, so i would finish with this you know you said the dad listen watch the news watch the news watch got to keep my eyes open mm-hmm. i think the dallas imploring is look at the beauty look at the beauty look at the beauty look at god look at the because superintending those are, of god those are just as true as yes. the dark evil event and, and you got to keep your eyes open yeah 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 that's good. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening, John. Thanks for the conversation. This was fun. I hope uh, I hope it was uh, helpful to you in some way, and I hope it's yeah. helpful to our listener in some way. So uh, thanks for being a part of Upstream with Jim and John. We're grateful. Tell a friend, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you.